Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Are we? Brandon, Brandon, you pressed record a few seconds too late. Yeah, now I'm sorry. It's fine. Um, But I just, I don't really like Claudia Cardinale. I think she has a, a striking screen presence. She has, a, and she has a thankless role in a way. Yes, but yes. I. It's been. A, I remember. Being, it's just like she has to hold the screen with Henry Fonda and Jason Robards, and that's not an easy task. Well, she's given less to do. Yeah. Um, and yes, that's, those are difficult actors to hold your own against. There, there's something about her that is so instantly iconic that mm-hmm. that's true. She in in a very like scopophilic way. She yeah. is just like. Visually, and I don't mm-hmm. mean like a, a female objectification angle. Although you probably could make that argument, yeah. and Once Upon a Time in the West, but she is just like has a striking screen persona to me. Mm-hmm. I also I didn't realize it's it's very it's just much slower than I thought because oh yeah, A Fistful of Dollars just like moves. It's a, that movie's an hour and forty minutes. Yes. Yeah. No. Once Upon a Time in the West is like lugubrious. Three. Yeah. It's like a, almost a full three hours. Yeah. Well, the just the opening. Yeah. With, if I'm. In the opening, so it's, is it Charles Bronson? Uh, and, uh, yeah, and three yes. guys. And then, but only he walks out alive, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like spending all this time setting up four characters. Yeah. Like every little dangle of their spurs, mm-hmm. like every kick up of dust, every, mm-hmm. you know, grabbing of their mustaches, and then three of the characters you just never see again. Mm-hmm. It really takes its time. Jason Robards has one of the best lines I've ever heard in my life, and I can't think of what it was anymore. But it was so good. Wow. Maybe if I look on IMDb, sure. it'll be listed we can, we can there. Take a look. Let's take look. How was everyone else? Fine. Extremely tired. I had a red eye at five thirty p.m. today. Oh, what? Co- I thought you were. With I thought you were. I was going to be like, oh. where? Where were you coming? Uh, from? I was like, oh, <laughs> I just landed you on a red eye town? flight in the middle of the late afternoon. Yeah. No, I'm very tired. Uh, same. I'm glad we I realized I put in my calendar uh, <laughs> once upon a time in Hollywood yesterday. That trailer looks good on a big screen. Humorous. I'm excited to see. That Can't wait film. to see it. At I the have new to bed. say, you know. Those of us who are rightfully alarmed by global warming, the planet will be dead by 2050 uh, because we're not going to do anything about it. But mm-hmm. I, to everyone, I say we need to be we need to make sure that we're not ignoring a, a closer impending disaster, which may just kill us all, which is that there is Tarantino discourse only a month away. Mm. And it it's might just up. decimate us. It, I w- it will kill me. I can't believe we're going to have to weigh in on the mic. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for that. Can't I wait to that. rank Tarantino on the mic. We could probably rank Tarantino right now. Probably. And an accurate. Well, I, I think we could probably we head. could probably guess where Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to end up. No, it's not. I doubt it's going to be anyone's favorite. No. So that like Jackie Brown is safe. It could be. I could see it topping anything else though, other mm. than Jackie Brown for Interesting. me. Interesting. My I, number one is different than y'all's yours number. Is I know. Bill. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. 
Um, I will be making the argument next week for why Toy Story 3 is the best Toy Story film in the same way that Brandon might discuss Kill Bill Volume 1, which is, it's just so much! So many genres, so Mm. many styles, Mm. seamlessly blended together. Do you think Toy Story 3 is the best Toy Story? Well, we had this debate a year ago. We did, and uh, we're about to have it next week. And we're going to have it again, (laughs) but I will actually have rewatched the films this time when we discuss Toy Story 4 here. I will hang on to Toy Story 2. And I think maybe I'll pivot to Toy Story 1 being the, wow. the best just you, so we can be. Do you land be... on 2? No, I, I think. You think 3 is the best? I do think 3 is the best, but I also just rewatched 1 for the first time in a very, very long time. It holds up. And I'm it's like. So good. It is a perfect script. It's literally perfect. It's a perfect script. And not just in the way that like every plant is paid off. Like and, the, the character arcs are really complex. Yeah. And the way that everyone, and like the way that it, like all the foils are perfectly placed. And then like in the second act, we get like a whole new band of characters. Yep. Who and they're developing. all perfectly mm-hmm. fleshed. But of course, this is true about every Toy Story movie. It, it is my. At um, like the 50 minute mark, you meet 10 more characters. And there's only 30 minutes left. Yes. These yeah. movies are an hour 20. I did not realize. The only one that's long is three, the third three. one. Yeah. And I think four is. It's about the same. same it's like 100. I looked it up. Um. But I also do have Toy Story above Toy Story 3 in, like, my personal ranking. Well, then there you go. One, two, so three. So I think I have to say one's my favorite. Okay. All right. So we're evenly across the board. No, until Br- 4 becomes no, all of our, our no, all no, of us. Knowing you, Brandon, you're going to come in hot. Be like, <laughs> Toy Story 4. Let me tell More you. More like Toy Story 5 out of 5. <laughs> wow. That's, this one is that's gonna big be, news. <laughs> that's going to be my log. <laughs> Toy Story 5 out of 5. <laughs> I just spit water. <laughs> you just got me to do a spit take like Juliette Binoche. Hell yeah. Uh. Guys, I'm like actually having anxiety about like midsummer embargo takes. lifting. Are you, oh, Brandon, hold on. I'm just excited about the takes. Like, what time is our people's Why, do you, butts? Do you want me to text my sister and say, hey, can you text when the movie's over? No, because, no. What? My sister is at it right now, which is why I said mm. that. No. I'll know. I'll know. <laughs> You'll feel it inside. I'll feel the, the takes rumbling mm. from beneath me. You know. Midsummer <laughs> is as if Ingmar Bergman took magic mushrooms before shooting the Virgin Spring. Why is there a picture of Ellen on your phone? <laughs> it was just texted to me. <laughs> <laughs> What's she doing? I don't know. Also, why is she in Taylor's video? Isn't she canceled? Well, not in Taylor's not world, straight. because they're rich. Yeah. They're, if you're a straight, oh, rich, white woman, then you're on. And you're an canceled. ally. You see Ellen, and you're like, oh, I, I'm for gay rights. And this mm. is the ultimate example of what a gay person can achieve in this life. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of dollars on your talk show. Mm. I thought you said on your dog show. <laughs> yes. <the first. laughs> Best in show. Ellen DeGeneres' <gasps> dog show. That's right. <sighs> Ellen. Ellen. What's the joke? She's like, yeah, it's me, Ellen. Or... I'm thinking about you the... You mean uh, all of Relatable, where she's like, I'm rich! Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> I didn't watch Relatable. Uh, I, I have such a hermetically sealed, protected view of Ellen. I really... as soon as 20 I start, years ago? Well, I love Here and Now. Ago. Here 15, and Now is still formative. Here and Now is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. <laughs> oh, it's good. Here and Now is the funniest. Uh, mm, I just opened a yogurt. I am in for the <laughs> night. <laughs> it's really good stuff. Uh. <laughs> That's so funny. It is. That is funny. Hold on, hold on. My my roommate just texted me. The film's out. 
No, so sorry to bother you, but I accidentally locked myself out of the house. I don't need to get in now. I'm headed to dinner. Curious what your evening looks like and when you'll be home. Oh. Let me, uh... Oh, my gosh. We just set, like, a big action movie red timer just, like, appeared. Let me send some texts. Have a nice leisurely (laughs) two-hour dinner. Yeah, take your damn time. Mm. Take your motherfucking time. Is anyone going to Faces tomorrow? Brandon, you said you were going. I am going to try my best. Great. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you're on the west side on Thursdays, right? Is that what you mean by trying your best? I just mean my energy. Sure. I haven't been sleeping. Mm. Like, Ben, I've been on your schedule. Of staying up all night and so, waking up early? I yeah. stayed up until 1.30 last night watching mm. Only Lovers Left Alive, and I was so fucking lit and, of course, the, like really feeling the nocturnal vibes of that movie. And I was just, I was so engaged. I was captivated. I did not regret for a second that I was staying up so late to watch this movie. I'm like, this is what good cinema does. Good mm. cinema is better than a cup of coffee. Like, it is. This is how I feel about Mulholland Drive. I can put on Mulholland Drive at any time during the day and I will watch it through. Mm-hmm. And then I have been just struggling to make it through yeah. the entire day. And it's because I stayed up until 1.30 watching a movie last night and then got yeah. up at 7.30. Well, I, I didn't sleep all weekend. And then I got up. Last night, I went to bed at, like, 12.30. Mm-hmm. This morning, got up at 5. Mm-hmm. Threw on Toy Story because I didn't know what to do with myself. Sure. Somebody <laughs> was trying to get the worm. <laughs> what? I don't He's know the early bird. Oh. I don't know what's going on. I'm just, anyway. Um, that is about my normal schedule. I've been yeah, sleeping so I'm in I'm on now. your schedule. I'm sleeping in lately. Mm, to, what, like, 7? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. That's sleeping in for you. And me, honestly. I slept in until... 10 on pride that's and, oh, insanity wow. i haven't slept in past eight yeah i know i was like this is insane. the 80s i slept in until 11 a.m last sunday mm. or last saturday i that's so luxurious I, yeah. well it was not it was completely accidental i would be i would literally feel like my day is gone i didn't feel like my day was gone mm. but my day started a lot later than i would have liked yeah. obviously it literally started later but when i wake up late in the morning like i can i can get my day going with less sleep getting up at eight than mm-hmm. i can getting more sleep at 11 on a weekend because sure. it then just takes like i'm it's not until like 1 30 that i really feel like i'm going yeah therapy in there mm-hmm. on saturdays so like that takes time out of my day yeah mm-hmm. so i can relate to that feeling yeah was this the first time you'd seen only lovers Yes. I've, <gasps> I have had, so five years ago, I got it on Redbox, and I, this is when I was working in reality television, and I had a pretty comfortable paycheck, but because of that, I did not feel any pressure to, like, take Only Lovers Left Alive back, and then by the time I realized, it was, like, a $7 fine, so I was like, oh, shit, I have to make sure this gets back, like, tonight. I, you know, I don't want to, I can afford it, but I don't want to incur any more uh, wrath here mm-hmm. and then I just kept it in my car like it was in my bag or in my car and I literally forgot every single day until I got the email <laughs> after like 15 days like or whatever it is from Redbox they were like congratulations you just bought the movie for $25 mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like had it in her and the same thing is true about Mr. Turner oh. um, so oh. Mr. Turner oh my god Mr. your tweet you, my... me bursting into any art museum here forth where are the Mr. Turners? <laughs> Truly. It's it's a real problem if you don't have at least one JMW Turner need one Turner. <laughs> Look at Linda. The singular Turner. Um, hey, but hey, didn't Lynn. you say the Redbox disc was... The, 
It didn't. Ruined. It didn't work. Mm, it physical just didn't, media. So for five years, it's, mm. and I love Jarmusch, mm. so I knew I was gonna love this movie. It's just been sitting on the shelf. Mm-hmm. I finally broke it out last night, and it was like it would play like the beginning, like Sony Pictures, like mm-hmm. you know, like the dark, thundery night, and the camera's whooshing through the lightning, but then it would not progress to the menu from there. Like I would press home, I would press next, and it would just yeah. like kick me back to my Blu-rays. I bet Redbox was like, yeah, he bought the DVD, push a button, they break it. <laughs> yes. Maniacal, those maniacal Wal- Walmart? Uh, I don't know who owns Redbox. Um, wow, well, that's some Probably powerful Bob edging Iger. because that movie is literally made for you. Powerful It's edging. the best movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It's, so when I saw it... I thought Dead Man was. Well, Dead Man is a movie that was literally piece by piece made for me. Mm-hmm. And Only Lovers Left Alive, maybe like <laughs> maybe like one piece wasn't made for mm. me, but pretty close. Mm. They're, they are both the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Only Lovers. I remember liking it, but... Mm. Speaking of movies, movie. piece by piece made for me, mm-hmm. I just, I won't, I'm not going to discuss this on the microphone, but Parasite is literally... Talk about it a little bit. No. Literally no. piece by piece made for me well can Great. we just brandon let's no. put the, brandon let's put this in terms you can appreciate i want a ranking of okay no hold on hold on of recent palm door winners uh-huh so where does parasite fall like in the last parasite 10? is the best movie of the decade oh my <laughs> god like okay that's it, enough. it is the best palm door winner of the Even not better since, than no it's not better than tree of life so better than a more so of this decade i do like it better than a more like it better than a more Brandon and I are sort of the resident of more stance on the podcast. I mean, I, I think it's great. It's of just course. not. Sorry, I'm literally, I just. I just don't. Moment. I guess I just don't stand it in my heart. But I do I think more is a great movie. Class. But just wait for Parasite. Oh God. Can I? Can I? No. Can I? You can plug your ears or something. I was just gonna say. Can I tell a movie that I think you guys should watch before Parasite? Yes. Mm. Which I guess you in, a, in a way is a spoiler. Brandon doesn't but listen to the podcast. I can you can tell me. <laughs> if you if you <laughs> don't want to know, I think it will help I think it will inform your viewing, but skip forward fifteen seconds. Oh, you're saying to our listeners. Yeah. Okay. But I think everyone should watch High and Low oh, before okay. seeing this movie. High and Low is so fucking good. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to watch it, so And it's Perfect. now on Criterion. Tis. There are there are like explicit references to it. Oh, okay. So that's and I have heard that Parasite, like High and Low, like changes as it goes on. Uh-huh. Like you're watching one type of movie uh-huh. in the beginning of High and Low, and then like 50 minutes in or an hour mm-hmm. in, you are on a completely different quest. You yeah. have a different milieu. You're it's, following a different character. It sounds very burning. You're like, oh, this is so good, and I think I know what's going to happen in the second hour, and then there's a turn, and it's. Literally, like literally, from minute 60 to minute 90, I checked my phone because I was at a work screening. So Did you I, check I just, I just want, no, I just wanted to check <laughs> timing, how it was going because I was interested like in the, the pacing of it. What's mm-hmm. the structure? It's, it's literally from like 60 to 90. My life changed. Well, that's sort of how <laughs> I feel. Not sick, not, not from the 60 to 90 minute mark, my life changing, but that is how I feel felt watching Snowpiercer for the first time, which is like every 25 minutes I was watching a different movie. Mm-hmm. I was so sure it's going to be one thing. Like I had such a miserable time for the first like 20 minutes. I find yeah. the first 20 minutes of Snowpiercer some of the scariest shit I've ever seen. Yeah. I might've been cause I just had not seen a trailer for the film. I didn't know what quite to expect. And I had also like smoked a little weed beforehand. Nice. And I was like, I can get 
sometimes I react to being trapped in a theater in not a very good way. Like I, my, we can all relate to this. Like my anxiety is just spiking off and you just feel so trapped in that back car mm-hmm. and you know that they've been eating people at some point mm-hmm. and it is just literally just so oppressive and bizarre. Mm. It just like, oh, like every detail is grosser than the last. And then mm. I'm having the time of my fucking life, like an hour into Snowpiercer. But I don't know. It's just like when, with that Bong Joon-ho movie, and I guess definitely like with Mother. I've never seen Memories of Murder. I haven't seen Mother. Mother is really good. I, I want to see Mother. I haven't seen Memories of Murder great. either. I would like to see both but of But you those. really feel like the guillotine can drop in any second. Like mm-hmm. every time our characters like take a, tur- like, take a narrative turn, they're just going to get executed right then and there. Or that the stakes are going to get so much bigger. Yeah. Oh God, Snowpiercer! Love that movie. I will also say. Oh my God, you about worked Parasite. on Snowpiercer. I did work on Snowpiercer. <gasps> oh my God, take this compliment. Um, Parasite is the saddest movie I've seen in so long. That is oh, how I thought. It's about just like profoundly, topic. deeply hurting. <laughs> That's oh how I God. felt after Burning. Mm-hmm. The Dead Don't Die really hurt my feelings mm-hmm. and really upset me. I was in such a funk after seeing that movie. Very depressing. Um, and I guess I just don't expect that from movies this time of the year. Yeah. Like during Burning last year, like I am on the record, I needed that movie cut out of me. Us kind of, I mean, Us really upset me as well, mm. but I think going into it for that type of auteur picture, I was expecting it. Jarmusch movies don't really make me want to jump off a bridge, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't mean this, and like the movie's so bad, it made me want to jump off a bridge. Like we'll talk about it when we get. We're talking about the dead don't die today. When we get to the dead don't die, I will talk a little bit more about why it upsets me so much in mm-hmm. context with Jarmusch's filmography. Much to say about the dead don't die, mm-hmm. but it's all like good movie. But I don't know. The thing about the dead don't die, if you have no interest in the Jarmusch filmography, or if you've never seen a Jim Jarmusch movie. And if you're just going in expecting a zombie movie or you don't have anything to have it in, like if, if you're watching it without it being in conversation with his other work, I'm sure it can be enjoyable, kind of funny. Like the, you don't need to have seen a Jim Jarmusch movie to feel like the world is ending and it's, mm-hmm. we're on an, un, we're on a train that's eventually going to run out of track and like fly into the Pacific ocean. But it's like, I find it so much more interesting in context with his films, which is ironic because Jarmusch like completely like rejects the auteur theory. But mm-hmm. I think he has a very specific worldview, and this is just like a repudiation of the worldview, which mm-hmm. just makes me so upset. There is no hope. Tom Waits telling you how humanity will end. Oh, well, when we get into when we actually get into the meat of the podcast, the meat, Brandon, mm. of the meat, the intestines, of the the guts oh. of the podcast. This is our first zombie film we're talking about on the podcast. Is it? Isn't it? It I is. Mean, I, don't, I don't know. Is. It is. There, there's one detail, especially in that last, the last Tom Waits monologue, that is a callback to another one of his films, intentionally or not, with completely different meanings, put in the exact same place in the movie. Where? What? Well, I'll talk about it when we get into it. Talk about it now. What is it? I'd rather just introduce the program at least. So you know what? Let's Wait, just, what is it? Let's just now. I want to know. Let's just crack this one right off. Crack a skull open. We're gonna crack like our, a zombie. We're gonna crack our ninety. Have you guys ever heard the phrase "pound sand"? No. Go pound sand. Go like, pound, go would, go suck an egg. Which is yeah, that it's, it's like, like going go, to the beach? It's like go fuck off. Because <laughs> the woman that gave our uh, sexual harassment training used the phrase like was like discussing is it quid pro quo if a if a man propositions a woman and she tells him to go pound sand and we were like. Is that a sexual euphemism? <laughs> like the whole group. It sounds like a euphemism. It does, but 
it just means go fuck off. Basically. Did she I explain? feel like go suck, uh-huh. a, go suck an egg is far more evocative. As she a, was like, as Google it. I swear it's real. Oh. So I'm going to just crack off our 90th episode off the old block. <gasps> Welcome. This is our 90. 90- no, no, this one's 90th. 90th. Well, it is technically it the, is, it, this will be the ninety-first episode we've released. Yes, but Ben's Tiff Diary was a mini-sode, mm-hmm. a special, a very special episode of the podcast. Right. It just means it's referring to a addition. pointless activity. Go <laughs> Did, away, yeah, like go suck an egg, do something pointless, mm. screw off, mm-hmm. buzz off, bozo. <laughs> Why'd you go pound some sand? It does yeah, feel let's like see you'd what see sand it, is to <laughs> Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the 90th episode of Movies IMO, where we talk about films. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing about now? Dad, let's see what Sandy is about. <laughs> hey, let's see what Jake's has to suck. <laughs> <laughs> we are, of course, referencing the Mike Lee film Peter Lou. Is this thing on? Is this okay, on? Mike Lee owes us. Peter Lou. Millions of dollars, personally, <laughs> for how much we. It. Oh, that's not. Nice. It's true. I mean, I just I'm Amazon. Saying, I'm looking Amazon. Out for Amazon pays you know millions what? I think it's kind of fucked up. I think it. I think that the dead don't die is a great. It deserves a competition slot at Cannes. It doesn't mean that it's as good as everything that like our favorite movies from Cannes. There have been a lot of stinkers in the competition lineup. Let the dead don't die be in there. It, it, it's commentary is very yeah. of the moment. Like it's a film. I agree with Richard Brody that this is you could classify this as the first late stage Jarmusch film. Mm. So it's interesting in the context of the career there. But you know, Brody's whole thing is about if you don't like the last film of a filmmaker, you don't like the filmmaker. Yes, like the last one made or the last mm-hmm. one ever. Mm-hmm. Like the last he means film like the by last that person. One that they made. Oh, so if you don't like it, then you don't like that filmmaker mm-hmm. because yeah. that's what they've been working towards their whole life. Which I think is a lit. I basically agree with that. Yeah. I don't. I feel like there's exceptions to the rule. There. I think that you. I think that having. I think it's an interesting. Like idea. what I if what if yeah. it's what if the director's making their paycheck movie? That's true. Which is John Cassavetes' final movie. Right. He just did as a favor. I think Brody is leaning in pretty hardcore into the auteur theory with yeah. some level of predestination. Also, his example is Marnie, which is ten years before Hitchcock. Yeah, Marnie is movies. not his uh, family plot. Don't really like that movie yeah. very much, but I do love a lot of stuff in it. See, I I would Same. say that it's more you have to have an appreciation for it, yeah. or like what they're getting at, or how it relates to everything else. Because yeah, they're they were building up to this film their entire life, but that whole argument is predicated on these filmmakers knowing it will be their last movie. Right. Like Kubrick may have known. Kubrick knew that Ice White Shut would be his last movie, so that that argument makes a little more sense there. But for someone like, you know. Oh, someone so, like Adrian Shelley, for instance, like who who died far too early. Like you can't. Say, I mean, Waitress is probably her best movie, but you know what I mean. Like it's mm-hmm. that 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 it, that's. I feel like that argument is based on the idea that the filmmaker knows ahead of time. Yeah. So it's so he is referring to Even the last movie ever from yeah. that filmmaker. Oh, mm-hmm. got it. Okay. I thought you meant like I thought you means like the most recent of that. No. The the literal yeah. final film got of the filmmaker. What are we talking about? Oh, die. oh, Mike Lee. Oh, yeah. Dead Don't Die was in competition because literally, I maybe not literally, but basically every single Jim Jarmusch movie has played in competition. Uh-huh. The same is true about Mike Lee, but apparently can passed on Peterloo, which is why I went to Venice in an out-of-competition slot. Mm. I believe out-of-competition or like a special screening or something. Mm-hmm. So Peterloo, 
and the dead don't die are both very focused That's on rude. current. It's really rude. And I think they're, they're both like politically urgent, mm-hmm. very angry, very sad movies Yeah, that represent, I mean, Mike Lee, Mike Lee's only like 15 years tops older than Jim Jarmusch. Like Mike Lee has been in his late stage, I guess for a minute now, like Mr. Turner feels like a late, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause that's very much like a commentary on art. Maybe how he sees himself in it. But yeah, I would say Mr. Turner is the turning point. The turning point. Oh, cause I wouldn't Pun say, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that another year is late stage. Would you? Mr. Turner's after another year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would not say that another year is late Mr. stage. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying Mr. Turner would be like the first. Right. Whether you want to say it's like his last or his first yeah. before you're in that late period. Yeah. I No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And we think this is the first of the late stage. Jarmish. Yeah. I would have to I would have to agree with Brody. And, and I, Would you not think uh, Only Lovers Left Alive is? I don't think Patterson is. Because Patterson came. And actually, only... Because Patterson fucks. Patterson really fucks. Only mm. Lovers Left Alive fucks. Like, oh, certainly, oh, Only Lovers Left Alive also has this element of looking at your surroundings and thinking, Jesus, it's not going to get any better. Like, yeah. it's not like, it's not going to get any better. How could it possibly get better than this? It's like, it is not... This is the best it will ever be because it's getting worse by the day. Like, this is the worst it's ever been and it's only getting worse. Like, that mm-hmm. worldview's there. But I think that there's, like, a lot of despair through all of Jarmusch's work. Mm. But for lack of a better word, like there are these pinpoints of hope or just mm. like an element of like an element of um, not not being taken down by that despair. And then the dead don't die. He fully succumbs to it. Yeah. And that is so upsetting to me. I don't disagree. It's just like I don't disagree with him for making this movie. I like the movie. I think it's a good movie, but it's so I haven't even introduced the podcast yet, so I don't want to make my point yet. But it's like it's. I'll talk about it in a second. But it's like to see to see him succumb to these feelings of despair. I'm just like, oh God, they we they got a good one. It's like watching him. Jim Jarmusch go down in a zombie movie. Like you don't R. want him to die. R.I.P. to a real one. <laughs> Someone, I that that phrase has been on my mind because what is that from? I, it is something a friend of mine said when the first of Daenerys's dragons died <laughs> on Game of Thrones. <laughs> when I got to that episode, and I was like, oh, I think the first dragon is going to go. He Did said, you finish the series? I have three more. I've just watched the Battle of Winterfell. Okay, so I, I have a joke about uh, the dragons. Great. But I'll save it for once. You there are, the there's still one left, right? There's still one left. What does that mean? Dragon. Battle of Winterfell? The so second you, one dies, didn't it? So you're further ahead than you think. Maybe. Has the dra- in the has the dragon been pierced? There's a the b- neck? yeah, no, there's a beautiful shot of the two dragons flying in the sky and then out of nowhere an enormous spear just slings right through one of their necks. And I'm like, I mean, vomits blood. I'm like, I love the elevator shot in the departed. Oh. When the doors open oh. and like Leo oh. and Matter in there, and it's like butoom. Bye. I love that I've been conditioned to feel more pain when the dragons are hurt than the humans in the show. It's so upsetting <laughs> when he yeah when he coughs blood. My dad called me the other day and he was upsetting. like, "So I just finished Game of Thrones. I'm like, do you want to talk about the plotting?" He's like, "No, I want to talk about why Jon Snow's not sitting on the Iron Throne." He's like, "I don't understand." He's like, "He was the heir to the throne." I'm like, "But Dad, how are you gonna?" Oh, you haven't finished the show. I know, I know, oh. <laughs> I know, I know most everything that happens. Well, I won't say anything. I won't say anything else. But I like out of nowhere, my dad texted me. He's like, "Hey, can you talk for two minutes?" I'm like, "Jesus, like who died?" Like, and he was like, "We need to talk about why Jon Snow isn't sitting on the Iron Throne." I'm like, "No, Dad, 
Um, this about? is Movies IMO. Oh. We are your three fave film fags. Today we're talking about Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. Mm-hmm. My name's Daniel Crook. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm Brandon Kirby. <laughs> that, that's correct. <laughs> I'm Ben MB. That is also correct. Um, we are also discussing two other of Jarmusch's genre, his forays into genre. So we're yes. talking about his Western, Deadman, and mm. his vampire movie, mm. Only Lovers Left Alive. Mm. Indeed. Can we talk about Big Little Lies? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can talk about Big Little Lies. I just want to say, this season is even better than the Do first season. Do you think season. so? Yes. I think that, Hands down. I think that the second Already episode... Already, two episodes in, it's better than season one. Well, I think that's... A little extreme. I think that's brave. Um, I do think that the second episode is. I think best. fellow the, film I, fag Matt Aspar, Aspar agrees. Well, Matt's not sitting here at the table, Brandon. Episode Matt, two. back me up. Matt, episode two is really good. Episode two is, in episode my opinion, two. the best episode of the series or the second best episode of the series. Correct. So obviously, I Correct. think I'm loving the second season. I think, because I also agree, the second episode of the second season is like probably the best episode they've delivered, which is probably what, what has skewed my opinion. I think opinion. it's episode four of the first season that is, like, my episode. What happens? Uh, it's it's when they have, like, the across-the-table fight about... Uh, Avenue Q. Avenue Q. Great episode. And You get that no, moment in the car and afterwards. It's, and it's the first Robin Weigert episode. Yes, who is doing great work. Oh, uh, and, sure. and once again, I am, I'm, I am under an NDA. I cannot talk about my... IRL run-ins with Robin Weigert, where I do not come off well in the stories, oh. but I can't talk about it. What? Can't Who? talk about it. I just think, I like that it's not tethered to... A mystery? Yes. I love that, too. I like that it's outside of the framing, mm-hmm. so it can really just, like, dig into cactus. Well, to bring it back to Game of Thrones, my favorite Song of Ice and Fire book is A Feast for Crows, which happens after, like, the Red Wedding, after... After... Like, after, like, Daenerys takes Marine, I think, like, so much happens. Mm-hmm. So many characters die. The table is not just, like, the pieces are not shifted on the table. The table is overturned. Mm-hmm. And then in the next book, nothing happens. Is that four or five? Four. People are just, like, crossing the road from mm-hmm. north to west or from north to south, like, just deciding what the next step is going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's all this accountability and consequence of the crazy shit that happened in the season before. And so it feels so much more on a, the drama feels much more human rather than like nation states at war with one another. And I feel similarly about season two of Big Little Lies and that it's like mm. an aftermath season so far. Yeah, but which I, is great. But mm-hmm. Zoe Kravitz is incredible. Zoe Kravitz is doing great yes. work. Yes, but they're I, finally giving but, her like real but, work yeah. to do. I actually, it's not that there's a mystery. It's it's much more like crime. It's like after like 200 pages into Crime and Punishment, when Raskolnikov has killed the woman and then Porfiry, the detective's on his tail for like 500 more pages. That's what this season is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the first two episodes were really a coda. I heard it compared to like the, like the last, like the epilogue of a, of an opera or sure. something. Yeah. Um, Cause they're, yeah. Yeah. And like table but, setting for the rest of the exactly. season. But, but because, exactly. because, but this, this, this episode zipped up every, every remaining thread from the first season. Yeah. Which, or I shouldn't say zip up it unraveled whichever ones were yet to be made public mm-hmm, which right. is what i really responded to in this last episode I, just the idea of like women's private truths and private secrets being forced to air them out in public because of patriarchy mm-hmm. the titular lies jumped out yeah. do you know what is i think the best moment of this episode mm-hmm. is what? when zoe kravitz's mom 
Well, that's Deli- pretty great. Figure, great work. Figures it all out she's, and lays it all out is there great. She's better like, than and anyone. It wasn't hard to determine. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. But it's when uh, Celeste uh, rams her car and they run into Zoe Kravitz, and then Reese is like, I mean, she seems like she's on drugs, and Celeste is literally the one on drugs. Right. Well, if, no, she she doesn't say she seems. Well, she says she seems like she's on drugs, but first she says, "Point like to Zoe Kravitz, are you on drugs?" Yeah, which is like such a great Madeline moment mm-hmm. because the episode before, Zoe Kravitz confided to Reese, like, "I'm dealing with the fact that I killed him." <laughs> yeah, and then the next and then time she's she like, like, "What's up, your butt?" Like, <laughs> it's so classic, Madeline. I literally killed a man. She literally I, killed a man. I'm losing my mind over Meryl, and I don't really, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to defend her because there's nothing to defend. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I talked about. I don't. Did we talk about episode one mm-hmm. last week? No. Was it? Did we record before episode one? No, it was after, but we it was it was Thursday, so it was I pretty late. Am, in the first episode, my favorite elements of Meryl's performance are how she knows what your preconceptions are going to be going into the series, which is that she's mm-hmm. Perry's mother. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and figure out how does the how far from the tree does the apple fall. So there's that moment in the car when she like snaps at the kids to like mm-hmm. be quiet, and you're like, she was the abuser, like this right. was inherited, like. She's, you know, she's sort of like mm-hmm. an aggressive, like angry person. Mm-hmm. And then that scream at the table, she leans into like, no, I'm actually like a crunchy San Francisco limousine liberal. Mm-hmm. Like the what she she completely toys with your expectations. Is she going to be like an aggro, like, you know, it's like an aggro, like abusive, like piece of shit. And then she leans into her feelings really hardcore. Yeah. And then in this last episode, she's like, I don't believe women. Like, and she, like she is, there are so many contradictions in this performance that yeah. I just think Meryl is not getting enough credit for making them consistent. Yeah. yeah. People are too concerned with whether or not her grand cinematic gestures are diegetic and like, like, are they, could they actually happen in the frame? By the way, that cross gesture, I can 100% see an actual human being do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To like, to their enemy. Are you kidding? Yeah. I agree. If it was an amazing if, choice. If you're going to have a problem with that, then you also have to have a problem with Jenna Rollins and woman under the influence sticking up the crucifix with her fingers when everyone's trying to escort her out of the building and into the, yeah. into the, the cuckoo house. Yep. It's just, it's just hilarious to me the way that we're like, that we tear down our idols just because yeah. we want to seem like we're smarter than other mm-hmm. people. It's yep. Well, that's a little harsh. If you don't like the performance, you don't like the performance. It's just like she had a target on her no, back. I don't think that went, was too harsh. She had a target on her back <laughs> when she went on to the show and Ben has the great line about how Meryl Streep has just been doing drag for 20 years, which is accurate. I'm not going to go. I'm not. I would also. I would just like to say that that doesn't mean that they're not good. No, drag is not like drag. Drag is an art form. Yes, I agree. It's she's often doing drag. She should have won the Oscar for Julie and Julia. (sighs) A great drag performance. Yes. I don't know how I feel about her performance on this yet, only because it's totally inscrutable. I know. know? That's what I love about it. And so, like, I'm not. I just like can't. I just am. I am not ready to put an opinion on the record yet until yeah. I see where we go with I will her. say, mm-hmm. the opinion I'm laying down is on the first two episodes and the way that she's building contradictions in this character, which make her all the more inscrutable. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me. Like, when she lets her guards down and wants to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. is it an act? Is it sincere? Mm-hmm. Like, no. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, this has been the Big Little Lies Corner. We can do this every week. Well, we're going to have to. We're going to have to. Of course, this episode will drop... After the third episode, yes, so that's true. we're going to be a week. Be- we're just like we generally are with a lot of our movies. We're mm-hmm. a week behind the discourse, yeah. but I kind of like it that way. Yeah, because whatever you know, it is, fine. Cult- culture should not be in a vacuum. 
No, you shouldn't right. only talk about Jordan Peele's Us the weekend it comes that's out. Right. You know what I mean? that's that, right. Love or hate. Love or hate. There's your balance. I What's agree. the scene that's a callback to his other movie at the end? Okay. Oh. So at the end of wow, the Wow, you've been holding on to I that. want to know. All right, all right. So spoilers. Here be spoilers. Watch out. If you don't want to hear any spoilers for the dead, don't die. Don't listen. Just turn off. Go just home. Turn, just go home. We love you very much. We'll see you next week. Get the hell out of here. Go pound you, sand. Go pound some sand. Go suck an egg. <laughs> oh, go, go hammer a nail. No, I, no, because that actually is productive. It has to <laughs> That's be, true, Brandon. It has to be a dumb, unproductive no. thing. Yeah. Go, go hammer a screw. Not actually gonna keep the building together. Oh. Uh oh. Not. But gonna it's gonna go it. into the wall. You're gonna make too big of a hole, and the screw's got ridges, so there's gonna be a lot of gaps there. Anyway, okay, what's the scene? So, at the end of the dead don't die, we are leading up to this like inevitable death for Bill Murray and for Adam Driver. They go out with their guns and their knives, and they go out, yeah, literally guns ablazing to try to take all the zombies down. Eventually, the zombies overwhelm them, and we get this monologue about the putrid state of the earth and how humanity is killing itself, and how the future is not bright because we have no, there is no reason to be hopeful. Mm-hmm. Although there are some moments, there are some notes of hope in this movie at the end, I think. But we get this, a series of fades of all of the zombies, like you know, ravenous cannibalistic like awful just like the worst caricature of humanity mm-hmm. this all this series of fades of all their faces like t- gnawing at flesh and just like grimacing for the camera and then our characters are dead and then that's the end of the movie and at the end of dead man it ends with william blake finally like ascending to the end of the world essentially is led into uh this indigenous tribes like city essentially and as he is dying we see this beautiful series of fades of all these indigenous folks who are like basically preparing him for the afterlife mm-hmm. and then he's set on a ship and he goes and it's not like he then goes to heaven but like there is an element of transcendence in this it is the exact he's drums are doing the exact same thing like overlaying faces in these series of mm. fades that creates this sort of ethereal like otherworldly texture yeah. and temporality in the dead don't die it is just the ugliest view of humanity and mm. dead man it is about community it is about transcendence and i think a lot of jarmusch's movies are about transcendence in some way shape or form not about going not about like ascending to heaven mm-hmm. but just there being some other layer in all of this like beyond yeah beyond just like the and, and oftentimes like found in the mundane i'm say like beyond the mundane but like in like the tedium and repetition of life there is, there does exist this sacred poetry to it all. That's, I think what he's getting at in so many, especially Patterson, like so many mm-hmm. of his films. And in the dead don't die. He's saying like, no, like we're all just going to eat each other and everyone's going to die. And mm-hmm. we, it, it was avoidable. It didn't have to be this. He's mm-hmm. not, he's not saying that everything he said in his films before was not true, but it cannot be true in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that is specifically what upset me so much. in the yeah. dead don't die. It is a, it is a repudiation in a way of, of the idea that any of any of the ideas in his previous films could exist today. Yeah. Which is bleak. So bleak. bleak. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Right? It's really upsetting. It's... But the movie's also hysterical. Did the ending of Dead Man remind anyone of Zama? Yes. Yeah. 
Of course. Very and, and, and it made me wonder if it was a film that Lucrezia Martel likes. I, I mean, I down to like the, the framing of yeah. the boat shot. It's yeah. Very Zama. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely Zama. Except the, the joke in Zama is that I don't think he dies. I think he's like... <laughs> Lives on. Do, yeah, doomed to continue <laughs> walking arms. the earth and being, mm-hmm. you know, uh, having his dreams dashed left uh, and right. Wait. He'll pun- never get to salt What does it punch the sand? Shove your, shove your stumps, stumps in, in the, the sand. sand. No, no but, shove your stumps in the sand. What's, but what's the... the go, pound sand. Go pound your stumps in the sand. Yes. Thank you. That's what I was trying to get at. You got it. You got there. I made it. Cam Collins it. has the all-time greatest letterbox log of all time, and it's for Zama, and it says, shove your stumps in the sand, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I recall that. I do recall. It's so good. Mm. Anyway, wow. So you think the movie's hysterical. Speak to that. I was giggling. I was. It's funny. I was laughing. I had some laughs. I. I um, Rosie Perez. It's just the the absurdity is funny to me. I mean, Carol Kane just saying Chardonnay as a zombie. No, the funniest part is when Adam Driver's is like, "Did she say Chardonnay?" And Bill Murray just like quietly nods. Yeah, she did. Bill Murray is hilarious. <laughs> Bill Murray's great. Adam Driver is hilarious. I think the funniest moment in the film, and I'm not going to get the line right, but it's when Chloe Sevigny, who Ben notoriously despises, and I didn't realize I was watching the movie, I'm like... She's not uh, condescending in this for once. I'm she's like, not uh, I'm, She's not bad in this. I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't know if Ben's going to be able to get into this movie because Chloe Sevigny's here. She's fine. But she says to Bill Murray, like, come on, just like, please tell me it's going to be okay. He's like, it's going to be all right. And then there's just a pause, and Adam Driver goes... I don't think it's gonna be <laughs> like I don't I don't think so. I, the timing's great. Mm. His, his timing is so wonderful in this film. Everyone wears glasses. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you my favorite scene? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 champing at the bit. This so, this is the idiom episode. Mm. So, when the two people get killed in the diner, mm-hmm. um, one of one of which is uh, the cousin from Stranger Than Paradise. Oh, oh which is another like oh. he's like. <laughs> murdering like the glimmer of hope in this person yeah Ooh, that's she's still working at that diner yeah he, but he is disemboweling like the innocent from stranger than paradise yikes anyway so yes um when what's the order bill murray goes in shot of mm-hmm. disemboweled body angle on other disemboweled body comes out says the thing about could have been one animal could have been two animals <laughs> adam driver goes in uh-huh. same shot same shot comes out same line chloe Sevigny goes in and no, you, no, no, you know the the pattern at this point, but mm-hmm. boy, but that, is it funny. Well, that's like pure Jarmish, like through, with yeah. the repetition of it. Yeah. And like the, just like the poetry in his editing. And like the, the, the third time Chloe goes in and you're just waiting for those two shots and you get them. It's just so funny to me. And then when Rosie Perez says the same thing on the news. Yes. Yes. <laughs> could be one, could be two. The, fu- the hardest I laughed in the whole movie is when Rosie Perez is like, this woman just had a really awful encounter with her animal and we're going to cut to her now. And then there's this woman like standing in front of her truck in the front yard being like, my cat, my dog was like hiding under the car and I like went to grab him and he just scratched my arms and look, he scratched me. It's terrible. And then it cuts back to Rosie Perez who doesn't know that they've cut back from the yes. newsroom. She goes, that's creepy. <laughs> She's like, oh, are we back on? <laughs> that is the, so that's creepy. And Tilda is just doing, oh, the, there's a Tilda scene that really gets me when she's drag makeuping her two corpses. I cackle. And the eyes are dinging open. I cackle. It's the fucking funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Tilda's great. I just laughed. I laughed at when when you see that she's you know she's doing her work. 
your eyes adjust to the shot, and then you see that she is just pasting these people with like <laughs> rainbow sherbet. Mm-hmm. Like they look awful. And then you see there's like a reference point like on her little, you know, mortician's tray. Uh-huh. That really got me giggling. Who told me the um the story of why this movie got made? Was it one? No, Michael, f- fellow film fag Michael Verratti told me. Do you guys want to know the yeah, tale? Yeah, so that's what this podcast is for. So he saw a Q&A um, with Jim Jarmusch in the screening of the movie. And the reason this movie got made is because when they were making uh, <clears throat> Only Lovers Left Alive, Tilda was like, when are you going to make me my zombie movie? She wanted a zombie movie. That's really funny. And... So he was like, all right. So he wrote, he like one night was listening to records and like banged out a zombie listening movie in Simpson. one draft. He apparently only writes one draft. I did not know that. I learned, mm-hmm. I'm just learning. That cannot be true about Only Lovers Left Alive. I ref- that cannot be true. Well, that's what he said at this Q&A, supposedly. Well, um, I was already going to say, it feels like he shot a first draft with this movie. This is, I, no, I agree. I agree. I um, like everything he's doing. I just feel like I know he can do it better. Yeah. So... He called Tilda when it was done, and she would, she, knew, she somehow knew that was the call, and she was like, "Is it is it time?" <laughs> and she went on set. She wanted. She was like, "This character should have a Scottish accent." And a he was nice brogue. And he was like, "Okay, all right, deal." <laughs> I love that. So that's why he made it because Tilda wanted oh, a zombie movie. They're quite ravenous and well past their expiration date. <laughs> mm. She's doing great Kill Bill work here. She's doing she great is. work. And I appreciate that Jarmusch has never seen The Walking Dead because the whole katana zombie context at oh, this point sure. has become iconic in a different realm. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it takes away from this, but I was... I mean, even if it, even if he had seen The Walking Dead and it was pastiche, that totally works because there's a lot of levels of pastiche in this movie. Or just a lot of, like, for lack of a better word, very meta. Uh, very very, uh, very Gone <laughs> Girl meta. very meta. With, very, with, like, what they, do we they, think... They, like, Sorry. No, please. What do we think of that moment? I'm giving it to you because I'm going to talk for too long at this point. So. Which moment? The moment that I think a lot of people don't like I is don't when like Adam Driver finally says, like, because the whole movie he keeps saying, it's not going to end well, and Bill Murray's finally like, how do you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I read the script. I don't love it. I like it fine, but I like it most as in a lot of like, like in a lot of Jarmish things. Like there's this existential level to it. Like I don't think I think that Jim Jarmish on some level is saying, like, if you were already accepting this as like as the reality within the film rather than the reality that we're all living in, like I don't know how to help you. Like I don't think he's very interested in like he is certainly mining like the genre lore. Like of course he's using the zombie genre as a sociological comment as John Romare. George Romare did I'll say dozens of times, but mm-hmm. like six or seven times or whatever. Like it's very clear watching this movie that he's not like it, he's not following the same beats of a traditional genre or zombie genre film. Like, there, yeah, there's dread, yeah, there's tension, but it's not in the same way. You're not like waiting for that first kill like mm-hmm. on the edge of your seat. Like, you see like the hands come out of the earth rather than like someone in a dark room like hearing like a little pitter patter over here mm-hmm. or you know what I mean. So. I I think I think in that context for him to re- like to just go ahead and call out that like that this is a movie like is totally fine for me because I I already know I'm watching a movie the whole time mm-hmm. especially he's cast all of these stars all these celebrities who I don't think at any point are trying to like dig into the verisimilitude like mm-hmm. of their characters like this movie is de- dealing dealing with archetypes and that archetype extends to just like celebrity like star this movie is littered with star images that is very hyper aware and very conscious of the star images on display. Yeah, so that moment for me was almost like inevitable. 
Well, like I, someone was just gonna call out like and I, just and just break. Well, you know? even though Jarmusch sort of rejects the auteur theory, like Jim Jarmusch is the god of, of the, the director is the god of the film, like the, the especially like a writer director. They are the maker. They are the creator of the film. So when he's saying like Jim already told me this, he might as well say like God told me, and. When you're living in 2019, like it is very hard to look around and not think that God has given up, which is so much of what this movie is about to me is like God just gave up. And so it's funny. Like, of course, Jarmusch is being very clever with it and it's done with a wink and you're supposed to elicit some chuckles. Mm-hmm. I found it to be a little deeper than that. Having said that, it's not like I, I didn't, I wasn't guffawing in my seat, which you would think would be the reaction wanted for do something yeah. as brazen as this to call out that you're watching a movie. Yeah, I didn't find that moment funny. I didn't laugh. I was just like, oh, like, ha, LOL. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it it's just, sort of like a, oh, okay. It, it, I moment. couldn't be taken out of the movie because I was already out of the movie in a way that, like, right. I knew I was watching a commentary and an exercise. Right. More that's than I was it, like getting invested in the characters. That's how it felt for me, which is fine for me because I found it, you know, my my head was stimulated. The like my head was not killed. But like I was saying earlier, like I just know he can do this story better. So it's like I didn't think it was lazy. I didn't like necessarily need it to take that route, but I thought it worked with what the film was kind of setting up about the state of things. Yeah, like it. Like you said, it's already operating. Linda's just what staring is Linda doing? at me. She's just staring at me. Um, it's already operating like on that sort of third level of like, this is a commentary. We're not actually existing in the genre. Mm-hmm. The characters are barely acting like they're in. It's just even everything. The zo- even the zombies yeah. are very human-like rather than very ghoulish. Yeah. So know? so like I said. In the way they move. Before, it's just, it felt inevitable. But then I like how he turns it back by turning uh, Tilda into an alien. Yes, because then it's like, well, well, we know where this is going, and then it's like, no, you don't, bitch. Tilda's an alien. (laughs) Well, whether or not she's actually an alien, like if she is, if she has ascertained like some grand knowledge of, like she's so cool and calm and collected through the whole apocalypse here. I don't know what she's attained, like what what purity she has achieved. She knew her escape route. Maybe the she, aliens. maybe she also read the script. Maybe she is an alien and she knows that she's gonna be taken away. Or maybe it's like she's the only one good enough to like actually deserve to get whisked away from all of this. And, mm-hmm. and that's my interpretation of it. Is that like mm. there is not like the basically like erases the idea of a savior from the narrative because the savior is like too good of a person. Like why why do these people deserve to be saved by someone this good? You know, because the other thing going on in this movie is like Bill Murray isn't a hero in this film like it's bill Bill murray is so derelict in his duties like he's the one everyone sort of looks to him as the patriarch of the community like it's his job as the police chief to keep things on to to preserve the peace like to protect the public and preserve the peace and when they are driving in that first of all he just like refuses to go out there and do anything about the zombies because like this will pass over this will blow over Mm -hmm. like in that way like bill murray is like a fucking centrist in this movie and then when they're driving the three of them through all the zombies these are all very easy kills like they're actually situated to start taking some of this shit down but by that point the problem has already grown so large that there's nothing they can do to stop it but he was he neglected to do the one thing that he should have done which was inform the public of what was going on. Mm-hmm. The only people who get informed is like Selena Gomez, et cetera. And they're not even told to zombie outbreak. They're like, just make sure they stay inside. 
like Adam Driver is the one who's like, this is zombies. We need to make sure people are prepared. And Bill Murray's like, let's not freak everybody out. Yeah. And so it's very much like that that meme of like the dog sitting in the room that's on fire. Like, yeah. this is fine. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. And so in that way, like Bill Murray is very funny and affable in this movie. But I think if you take a look at his actions, he's 100% culpable in what's going on. And most of the characters are in that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So Tilda, who actually jumps, which is in, also a commentary, it, absolutely. But Just like Tilda, complacent. who actually jumps into action, it's like, why should she die if she's the only one willing to do anything about this? Mm-hmm. Like, that's when you get the Deus Ex Machina coming and just whisking her out of there. Like she's too good for this. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I mean, like you know, I find all this stuff interesting. I liked the movie, but you know, I am very entertained by Jarmusch films. Like I like the deadpan nature of them. I like all the conversations that always feel like they're never overwritten in my opinion, which can sometimes feel like, God, he just should have like been a little more Tarantino here. Like really put the verbal curly cues on every single line to really hook you in and make that the screwball attraction of it. I like that he excuse that. And it's just so much more about the mundane, but um, I don't know. It's like, there's, I don't think this movie drags necessarily, but like, I kind of wish I was more invested in it, but like not intellectually, like I actually cared about the characters, but I understand mm-hmm. that's not really what he's trying to do. Yeah. It's operating on like a, a level, a more meta level. Yeah, I think yeah. all of his movies are too intellectual for me. Mm. Like that's just not why I go to the movies. It's not what I am looking for in a movie and it's not what I respond to in a movie. And there's just a lot of, performing how much he knows about books in all of these movies that really bothers me. I just, like, when any movie that does the, like, oh, it's Mr. Gatsby's wife, like, that, that is a half-star doc immediately. (laughs) I don't think he's showing off, though. I just think that, like, he he comes, he comes out of, like, a poet's background. Sure. Like, that, that, that's who he is as an artist. Like, he is someone who is very invested in of investigating like the spiritual connections between art and life. And, and sometimes I, I I don't think it's a problem, but yeah, like there are scenes where people are just quoting William Blake Mm -hmm. and there are scenes where Tilda is packing infinite jest and a million other canonical texts, like into, into a bag to Mm -hmm. take with her to Detroit. Mm -hmm. But I never take it as him flexing. Like I take it as him celebrating. He, he is such a huge just proponent of the arts. Like, I don't, I don't take it as him saying I'm smarter than you. I take it as him injecting art that he I don't necessarily think he thinks he's smarter than anyone, yeah. but I think it is like a nod to the audience who does get it. And that, I hate that See, shit. But I, don't, I just I don't hate know. it. I don't, I don't really agree with that, but I can understand where you're coming from. All of these movies appeal to the head more than the heart and that's just not my thing but I, d- I don't feel that way at all about dead man and only lovers left alive i mean i do those movies i feel very invested in the characters mm-hmm. and their relationships um especially in only lovers left alive i i put a lot of stock in the tilda swinton tom hiddleston characters and their malaise and their world weariness and mm-hmm. they're just laying around for most of the movie and just like talking so like i can understand why that can feel a, a, like a little like literally performative, I guess. But I don't know. I, I, I hook into the characters' dilemmas. And, and in Dead Man, like, I don't know. I think there's like a rich display of humanity going on. I mean, Dead Man, if, if I think if, you were, if one was to accuse it of being too intellectual, it's because it's too much about America than anything else, you know? Like, why do you have a gun under your pillow? Because this is America. Like, that, the, movie, the movie is wheeling and dealing in, in, in you know western iconography and tropes mm-hmm. because the western genre is always commenting on america and if it's not like a revisionist western yeah 
it has retrospectively come to represent America in the way that like John Wayne is like the face of a rugged American individualism and dead man like is really taking down um, a lot of those ideas. Like from the very beginning, like when Crispin Glover tells Johnny Depp that like all these cowboys are like shooting their guns out the window because they're trying to kill the Buffalo because Mm -hmm. the government has told them that like if they kill the Buffalo, then they like get something. I don't remember exactly Mm -hmm. what it was. But like, if it, if it's, I guess I can see why they might be too conceptually intellectual. But I I find them to be deeply human, which is partly why I'm so disturbed by the dead don't die because that element is missing for me. Mm. And Ghost Dog is like intensely like, um, not individualistic and in like a libertarian sort of way, but like really interrogating like one guy's like conscience and moral balance and how his decisions affect himself and others. But that's just how I feel. I can totally understand like not getting into them like that but i i there's I, a line in, in ebert's pan of dead man which i think he's a little harsh on dead man but a lot of people were um that this movie gives you more time to think about its ideas than it presents ideas and that's mm. sort of how i feel about all of these movies say it again that uh he jarmish gives you more time to think about his ideas than it actually presents ideas and i think that's more or less how I feel about these movies. Mm. All right, are you guys ready? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think I know what you pulled out. Surprisingly funny. People are calling it a pitch black comedy. Oh, great. Midsummer. Oh, Midsummer. Oh, it's... you're reading the Midsummer reviews. Okay. Someone called it a crowd pleaser. Mm. Okay. I mean, the, the buzz is good, but I mean... Is anybody comedy talking? crowd pleaser? These are not words I was expecting <laughs> to come out. Dark comedy. Dark comedy, yeah. Like, I had no expectations for this movie, so <laughs> like <laughs> it could you could tell me that it's about also about zombies, and I'd be like, okay. That's so interesting. I will push back against the Ebert point since it doesn't seem like there's anything too chewy in the midsummer reactions, unless you find a really good one. No, that's literally it. I'm just I'm just surprised that people said it's funny. Because yeah. Hereditary is not funny. Some people find it funny. I think it's funny. What? Where? When? Oh, when Ann Dowd's like... Oh, yeah. Ann Dowd is hilarious in this movie. <laughs> well, and, and okay, Ann Dowd's wipe, wipe, wipe that fucking face off your face? Yeah, there's... <laughs> That's funny. The, and the shock value of the violence is funny in a disgusting, like, Gabriel creepy Byrne way. Gabriel catches fire. Okay, all right. It's a funny movie. I think we talked about that on the episode. I don't know yep, if I agree. Brandon. I don't know if I agreed at the time. But I don't I listen to the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that was I believe that was a long episode too. You just live the episode. I guess so the idea like there being more time to think about the ideas than the ideas presented, mm-hmm. I look at it much more as these movies being investigations of the spirit. And he does leave a lot of room for you to think while you're watching the movies, but not because he has nothing to say, but because he's not interested in just talking over your own thoughts. He's looking for engagement with the work. I think his movies are deeply human. And Dead Man, I think, is his best film because I think it's his most successful charting of that spiritual journey towards Mm -hmm. transcendence. Mm -hmm. Um, He's allowing you to, you know, actually connect with the character, not in like, oh, I do that, or like not looking for relatable ticks. But he leaves space for you to think in his movies, which I actually really like. Um, I really like that component of them because I'm I'm able to hook into this weird wavelength that he's on. Yeah. Because he's not five steps ahead of me. Mm -hmm. Like in that way, I think he's a very generous filmmaker. I don't find him smug. I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. And I no one at the table said that, but I there's I've heard people say Jarman. That's 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 I think a general thing about like they think he's smug. 
I don't think he's smug, but I think a lot of it comes off as obvious, and I don't think it's necessarily a problem, because I think Patterson is obvious, and that's easily my favorite of his mm-hmm. movies, but especially in The Dead Don't Die, it feels... Oh, well. Cloying. <laughs> well, I will say... Like, I don't, I don't need another movie where people with cell phones are zombies. I just... That's... That right. That has been that scene beat into me. the ground. So that that, scene that doesn't me. bug me at all. But I don't think he's breaking new ground or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I think an old man that I respect is allowed to shake his fist at the smartphone cloud. Like you're allowed to do that. We let Clint Eastwood do it in The Mule. Mm-hmm. I when he was like, you can't change a tire without looking at your smartphone. Like mm. Clint Eastwood's much Cinema. older than Jim Jarmusch, but like. With the artists I like, like they get to have their moment, like reckoning. I think a lot of it does come down to that I don't have a long history with Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I weird. I don't know why I do. I think I had a friend in high school that was big, big on Jim. Nice. So I got into Jim in high school. I don't know. I have. I told you this theory when we were leaving the last recording, which is that for people who are our age, who were so moved by Lost in Translation, Uh Jim Jarmusch became someone that a lot of people clung on to because Broken Flowers comes out the next year. Which is also Bill Murray reckoning with his own obsolescence. His he's a little bit past middle age. It's very mm-hmm. deadpan, very dry. He's a little misanthropic in some ways, and more so in Lost in Translation. If I didn't get to rewatch Broken Flowers before this, but if, if I remember a little more misanthropic in Lost in Translation, but yeah. ultimately like romantic, uh, deeply flawed older men, and that it's from like Mr. Caddyshack who's doing it. Mm-hmm. So those of us who love Lost in Translation see a trailer for Broken Flowers at our local art houses or online if you're online at this point and you want to see that movie and because yeah. Broken Flowers is a good movie I didn't know until today it got the second prize at Cannes that year not that that necessarily oh. means anything you know Xavier Dolan has gotten that prize for a not great film but mm. Broken Flowers is great it is great I've never no, seen it is, it. my it friend is great. made no, me watch great. but I, my point is that I think Jarmish weaseled his way into our generation through Broken Flowers because it was riding off the coattails, for lack of a better phrase, of Lost in Translation. I don't know. My friend was like a weird stan. She like made me watch her like DVD of Coffee and Cigarettes. Oh, that's fun. Before we saw but Coffee and Cigarettes, Broken Flowers. Coffee and Cigarettes is one of these like seminal like mid or like early aughts independent films with just a stacked cast mm-hmm. you know you've got like Kate Blanchett in there you've got all his like music stars that he likes like Steve Buscemi's popping up like all these like art house favorites all doing like the Altman-esque thing of like everybody I mean not, it's actually not Altman-esque because they're not intersecting and I have said we don't have to call things Altman-esque just because they have big starry casts but like that's just like beautiful like like just like classic art house fair from, mm-hmm. from that period early yeah early 2000s yeah, yeah. um bunch of vignettes but when you think about like the, the people who like jarmish basically invented the american independent cinema of that time mm-hmm. you know of course cassavetes is the real godfather of american independent cinema then even beyond that you, you've got like independent films against the studio system and the what are the what are they called like the tin pan alley films yeah or the, that's what that's what it is right uh-huh. yeah so this this movement goes all the way back to the very yeah. independent film has existed since the very beginning of film and goes all the way to like tyler perry i, I would think right. is one of the most important independent filmmakers working today now he's certainly learned how to turn it into a huge studio model mm-hmm. um but jarmish is really the one who breaks ground for his generation in the 80s yeah for a very specific type of uh art house cinema in america um, in a way, like Jim Jarmusch kicks open a door for David Lynch, 
for the mm-hmm. Coen brothers, um, for like Alison Anders, like for, for that, like eventually Tarantino, like yeah, that whole that. Steven Soderbergh, like Jarmish is Jarmish. That's his class of mm-hmm. filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And Stranger Than Paradise, which made like you can't believe like two and a half million dollars at the box office, really, which is insane. Mm-hmm. That's in crazy. Fucking insane. Like basically thirty five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. On, on so, top so like, of like, yeah, like, ten million dollars, exactly, or whatever. That's wild. Off of like a shoestring budget, right? Yeah. But he really I'm like. Actually, gonna look up what the conversion yeah, yeah, is. But he basically proves that there is a market for this type of film, and then you, you know, you get like Orion Pictures and like all these like mm-hmm. mini majors that are producing not nothing quite as like esoteric as Stranger Than Paradise or as formally uh, experimental or, or like in an austere, in an austere sort of way. Like obviously David Lynch, like with a racer head, that's hugely experimental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so this, this is all to say like Jarmish to people who are like 30 years older than us, like that's, they're thinking of like, that's their Jarmish. And I think people our age, like our Jarmish is more like the broken flowers, coffee and cigarettes milieu. Yeah, totally. Mm. It's like 6 what? million, 6 million, but that's still still a lot. There was a movie recently that used the refrain from Broken Flowers that like that like I don't know that trumpet sound. It's not a minute trumpet. since I watched Broken Flowers. What movie was it? I was like, that's Broken Flowers. It was the same like music. See, that's how I felt when I lived what the in fuck movie was when it? I lived in this is not while you're thinking while you're thinking of it. When I lived in London, I went to the BFI London Film Festival. And I had not seen Taxi Driver yet. I saw Taxi Driver when I was 17, and I went to the festival for the first time when I was 16. Mm. And they had a beautiful festival trailer where they had shots of like iconic images of London. Shots of images, nice. But iconic nice. images of London that have been shot in a very specific way to recall moments in classic film history. Mm. So like the London Eye, the big Ferris wheel, became like the rotating ship in 2001. And it did it by sure. playing the music from those films over it. Uh-huh. And it would end with like a black cab, like going down the streets of London, like pulling up to the cinema. And they would play like that taxi driver, like trumpet, like mm-hmm. that brassy score. And I thought that was an original, uh, an original mm. piece of music. So then when I saw Taxi Driver the next year or the next spring, anyway, I'm uh, my junior year is when I saw that movie. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, at first I was like, where do I know this from? Is this the London Film Festival music? And I was like. That's a very smart trailer that they did there. That's they did very, that. very clever. They did that. They did that. Can't remember. We can move on from Dead Don't Die. I have one more point I want to make about it. Yes. Which I can make very quickly. Yes. Which is that, like, Jarmish has always been known for these films about loners, and it's been sort of fashionably hip. Like, I think that there's a limit to how hip his characters are, how much he actually cares about that idea of like Jarmishian cool. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the first movie of his that I've seen where he is no longer rooting for the loner because if Mm -hmm. the, like there's this con, there's this other element of the film where Tilda Swinton's character is the only one who like tries to get people together. Mm -hmm. Like you get Caleb Landry Jones and future honorary Oscar award winner, Danny Glover, Mm -hmm. uh, who end up in the hardware shop together. That's more Mm -hmm. by necessity. Um, they, if everyone were to just get together and like just as a group, like as a village, like try and take down the zombies, they would stand a better chance. Mm-hmm. Instead, everyone's completely spread out and making no a real attempt to connect with one another, which is something that every character in one of Jarmusch's older movies would do. Except now, it is leading to their own demise rather than being sort of this symbol of mm. non-libertarian rugged individualism. And yeah. there's an element I like in the movie where like. 
well, I'll say there was one point I just won't make it because I'm not going to talk for 10 minutes. But the fact that we never see what happens to those kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I found What do you think? What does well, that mean? Well, today I was like, I want, I was like, I want to read that interview where he talks about Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and then they're just being like a tossed off line. But he, the headline, it might've been a different interview, but he was like, why Jive Jarmusch doesn't believe in Biden, but believes in the kids, like for the, like the kids of America to uh-huh. like solve things. And, oh, that's interesting. And he, so and, the you know, kids It's survive. not even my interpretation of it. Um, it's literally what he said, but he was like, you don't see what happens to them. You just see that they're going, they say they know a safe place to go. And he's like, I like AOC. I like the Parkland kids. He's mm. like, I don't like Biden. He's like, I do like Warren. I like Bernie. He's like, I like AOC and I like the kids. And so I appreciate that commentary. But I said yeah. earlier, like it's not totally hopeless, but he is sort of like throwing his arms up in the air, like at this, what these generations have done and the mm-hmm. impact that that might have on the future. That's mm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cause I thought about that. I was like, Oh, the kids survive. Yeah. They find their safe, smart place to go. Anyway. So the dead don't die. I'm sure that... Good movie. I just don't know. But like I was saying earlier, like I don't know if I would really care about this movie beyond just like the simple thrills and commentary that it's having. I don't think I would be as invested in it if I wasn't a fan of his other work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair. Which like, you know, I don't think that's... That's a fair read on a movie though. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, 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 totally. Absolutely. But I'm just, I'm like, I don't necessarily think that's a knock against the movie. Yeah. But... Because I do think I can enjoy it on its own, but I think I'm so invested in it because mm-hmm. I see it connecting to all his other films. Yeah. Because that's just that's just a criticism that annoys me when people are like, well, you wouldn't like it if that wasn't a Scorsese movie. And like, well, but it is. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I get to part of it. I get to look at it as a Scorsese well, movie. Yeah. And Jarmusch's films do connect in a lot of different ways anyway. Like he casts a lot of the same actors. Mm-hmm. Like you get Gary Farmer and Dead Man, like coming back as the same character and Ghost Dog for a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like there are some elements of that in the films, which Tarantino also kind of does. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, which yeah, the Coens do in... Do they? Yes. It's not a character coming back. There is a reference to oh. another character. Oh, that's... I don't remember. But there's a reference to Capital Pictures in well, let's, Hail let's Caesar. Go with, and then Barton Fink. So let's, Barton go, let's Fink. go with that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's exactly mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of, but let's go with that. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. their extended universe. Yes. Right, right, right. 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 Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, Gary Fisher shows up at, in... Uh, Gary Farmer. Farmer, I sorry. I thought Fisher. I don't know. No. What, Fisher's the... Farmers. You, you can keep him straight. Um, he's Gary, so Gary good Fisher, in Dead Man. Dog. He's oh. un-fucking Gary. believable in Dead Man. I love him in Dead Man. So good. Yeah. Oh, the dead don't die anymore than you were right. They're just ghosts inside a dream Of a life that we don't own They walk around us all the time Are we talking about Dead Man now? We kind of touched sure. on it, but are we talking about Dead Man now? Sure. And then we'll talk about When We Love Ourselves Alive. I would like to see it. Well, talk, because I've been talking too much. Uh, I hate Johnny Depp, but he's good in this movie. I really hate that I can never have the poster for this movie in my home. I hate that I, we talked about this, but we wanted to, I hate that we can't screen grab. There are so many, I mean, there's so so many grabs of like him looking at, um, what's Gary? Nobody. Nobody. Looking at nobody and him just looking back. I just wanted to be like, "Mm." just want to grab them both. 
There's but. a shot, reverse shot of POV that I find so funny in this movie, which is when they're like riding horses. And at this point, like William Blake, Johnny Depp's character, who has been like shot in the heart and is just like barely clinging on to life and is, you know, in, in like nobody's words, just like a stupid fucking white man. Mm-hmm. He's just sort of bumbling from place to place and just sort of, it, it, it's sort of like Barry Lyndon-esque in that mm-hmm. he seems to be like not failing upward, but like failing sideways, like to a better dimension or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, sort of Zama. Sh- no. Yeah, I, yeah, for, for sure. But when he's on the horse, uh, like right after like he's been revived for the first time, we get his POV, which I love, like the way that Jarmusch is investigating like Western iconography in a lot of ways, but just like simply, just like I love the use of the POV shots on the horses. You know, like the ground level of the Western milieu. Mm-hmm. But he, like he's looking forward. You like see nobody on his horse, like trampling forward. And then you get a reverse shot, which couldn't possibly be nobody. But because the first shot was a POV, I feel like the reverse shot is also a POV. Mm. And the only place the camera could be is the horse's ass. And so I, I, it just gave me a big laugh watching the movie. Yeah. I, I was like, by like, I, I don't know. That could be an accident. It could be whatever. But there's something just sort of about like, the like the like cause it, it, it's not like the cosmic it's actually not like cosmically indifferent at all but there's something about this movie that is very like just built on like the randomness mm-hmm. of not humanity but just like life on earth um and the chaos of it and so like our main characters like equal in terms of like what we're cutting against is a horse's ass which mm-hmm. i thought was kind of funny yeah even if it's unintentional i thought it was funny it's funny mm-hmm. Good i movie. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about this movie. I already said earlier today. I truly have nothing to say about these <laughs> movies. That's fine. I, I, I was moved. I um the 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 the, the spiritual level of it. I well, I moving. think the way that he's inverting like the heart of darkness narrative is really interesting in this movie. Like, yeah, like the way that he portrays Native Americans. Like, I'm not just going to be like, I like that he portrays them as nice people, but like he actually portrays them as having a rich culture that like isn't doesn't exist in order to entertain you. Like the mm-hmm. lack of subtitles, like when certain indigenous characters are speaking to one another, like they're the smartest people in the room, and it's not out of any sort of tokenization. It's just like white people destroy things mm-hmm. like in the West. Like it's a colonization commentary. That reminds um, me. But but like in, in Apocalypse Now and in Heart of Darkness, there's this idea that like the further into the, uh, you know, uh, proverbial jungle you go into, mm-hmm. like it becomes more savage. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, like the further, like the further into the country, like into the West he goes, like, yes, we do run into more Native Americans, but it is not about how they pose a th- any more of a threat to look yeah. they post less of a threat to him than the white uh bounty hunters on his tail mm-hmm. like it is i find it just to be like like the dumb way of saying this which was in my letterbox talk that's because like neil young does the score it's like it excuse like the heart of darkness for the heart of gold basically mm. the score is so good so good which is just like neil young like noodling on his electric guitar like um, that's the worst part of the Roger Ebert review is that what he, he hates say? the score. He says, what? he says, I want to get it on vinyl. He says the last 30 minutes, it sounds like Neil Young just keeps dropping his guitar over and over. <laughs> Have you ever listened to Neil Young? Oh, uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, it's a good line, but I, I disagree. I d- the score is my favorite part of that it's movie. a great score. The actor from, um, Limits of Control, who's the ice cream man in Ghost Dog. Is also, yeah, I was saying also it, Ghost Dog. It reminds me, because you said how the indigenous people's dialogue is not, and his French dialogue is completely yeah. not subtitled. I mean, there's, like, all of Jarmusch's films on some level embrace a form of multiculturalism, not to be performatively woke, but because 
He's not like he's telling very American stories. Like the I think there's like his old line about it is like looking at America like through an immigrant's perspective, which mm-hmm. is certainly true about Stranger Than Paradise. But like he he is he is looking at humanity from a more holistic uh, approach, mm-hmm. which includes not just focusing on white men as your characters, and if you are focusing on white men, pointing out their flaws rather mm-hmm. than portraying them in a Western context as these rugged tim- yeah totems of rugged individualism. Mm-hmm. Only lovers left alive. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I just wanted to say that this movie also has a really good cast, and Robert Mitchum, who's like my big like mm. golden era of Hollywood crush, just the old like the long white hair, which he is he could a good, really crush you. In he this could movie. crush me in this movie. Like segue mm. into Only Lovers Left Alive, the long white hair. Mm-hmm. But Robert Mitchum standing with the shotgun in front of the portrait of Robert Mitchum holding a shotgun, it makes me laugh. <laughs> and I mean, I just. There's there's plenty more to say, but because we don't all want to talk about it, and that's not me being like passive aggressive or anything. It's just like we we can move on. But th- I think there's a great. I said in our Cape Fear episode, like I really have a soft spot for movies that are dismantling American myth making, mm-hmm. and this movie is that 100. percent Like yeah. starting with like industry, like a town that the white man has made, and it is just like dim and ugly and mm-hmm. savage and just full of wickedness. And we get a view of capitalism, which. Uh, uh, is very absurd mm-hmm. and violent. Uh, and then the further away we get from that civilization, it's not just like how the surroundings become more beautiful, but how the movie, like the meat of the movie becomes so much more about the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Like the further you get away from like the creation of the colonists, the more in touch you are like with your actual humanity. Mm. Yeah. No. Good movie, I know. Absolutely. Um... Only lovers left alive. I love that Mia Waskowska <laughs> doesn't show up until fifty minutes in. And ten minutes later, she's right she's back gone. out of there. She's she gets she's kicked out of the house. <laughs> do you guys like her? Yes. Yes. As in an this, actor? Yes, oh, I do. Not in general, but not in, in this in this movie. Yes, I like her in tracks a lot. Mm. I like her in this because I like that she's playing a brat. I like her. She's good at playing. I a like brat. her in the kids are all right. Mm. And I like her in... I like her fine in Crimson Peak. I mm. like her fine. I don't like her in Alice in Wonderland. And I like her in... There's one other movie I like her in. Maybe Jane Eyre. But I don't think I've seen Jane Eyre, so I don't know what it would be. But you don't Jane? like Mia Vasakoska. I mean, I think she's talented. I just... I'm not interested in what she's selling. What was her breakout? The Probably. Kids Are All Right? For, but she probably I got, mean for me she probably got cast in that because of some like British independent sure film. I think I think it was like something else oh is she Australian I think she is oh, okay. actually it was something I think that's Australian. right now that well that. if you like Adam Driver and you like Mia Wasikowska you should check out Tracks because their chemistry is pretty red hot mm. Mm. I like I just I don't know she has an energy that I'm not happy with <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad okay. for her because she's she's worked with some amazing directors. She had this like four year stretch mm-hmm. where she was getting cast on a lot directors of directors. Clearly love her. Yeah, but I don't know what she's doing now, and maybe that's just because I'm not paying close enough attention. But yeah. I actually really miss seeing her in movies. I really like her. Yeah, um, I feel like I haven't seen her in a movie since Crimson Peak. I feel like that is also the same. Which is for now me. like four years. Yeah, I could be. Yeah, wrong. where's she been? Where is she? Where'd you go, Mia Waskowska? Starring Kate Blanchett. Where'd you go? <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, she li- she leaves quite a mess in that apartment after uh, sucking all of Anton Yelchin's blood. Anton Yelchin in this is heartbreaking. I He's know. so good. I know. It's just sad. 
I know, and honestly, like when I'm watching the movie, I'm it's so clear when the four of them are going out in Detroit that Mia Vasikovska is like trying to seduce him, or like not she's not trying to seduce him, she's just gonna take him. Mm-hmm. She wants to. And I was like, I was like, oh, this is actually going to be really beautiful to see Anton Yelchin achieve immortality mm. after dying in a freak accident so young. And then his character meets like a pretty tragic end. She just accidentally drinks too much. Yeah, and she gets I, sick. I forgot this was a this is a Detroit movie. It's yeah. a big Detroit movie. Um, and I like movies that use the setting of Detroit as a character. As a, it's really <laughs> the. Th- Fifth character in this movie. Yeah. Um, the sixth, John Hurt. I, oh, John as Hurt. This Marlowe. is also very good. Which, that, honestly, that is more like a, that feels like a hat tip for the audience. Yes. But I love it. When I but wrote Hamlet. But I, was, I love it. I was like. Oh. No, it's so great. I'm doing a jerk off motion. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, no. back to Detroit. There's, there was a period of, of <laughs> movies that use Detroit like It Follows. Um. That shitty movie we saw, Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe. uh, And now Only Lovers, they use Detroit as like a commentary on, you know, just dilapidation. (laughs) Yeah. But also just how society fails itself. Yeah. Uh, And the worst impulses in humanity, racism. (laughs) Uh, Not to laugh at racism, but that's the reason why Detroit... Like right. The, all, yes. the, all the money left Detroit when, white white, when, when the white flight happened in Detroit. All the money went with it. They all went to Livonia, Michigan, oh. the whitest city in America. That, and that's where you're from. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I but they. But you guys also, are both wearing pink. It's oh, summer. We, you're wearing pink. We're all wearing pink. <laughs> we're all wearing pink. Thanks. But this movie also. Ben is literally wearing a fight aid shirt. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Hello. Um, no, but this movie also points out. The beauty of Detroit, mm. hidden, like when they go to that theater, and then mm. it's like they're looking up, and it's beautiful. Look at the old movie palace architecture. All, yeah, and all the, and then and now it's a car park. And then it like does it either like does a hard cut or it like pans down to be like it's a car park. Yeah, yeah. and it's like a mm-hmm. reveal. But it's like the both characters, but especially Tom Hiddleston's character. Like Tom Hiddleston's character, I really love how we meet him, which is like he's. Requ- I love his body. He's hot as fuck in this movie. He's hot as fuck. This is maybe the only. Before I watch Joanna Hogg movies, yeah. this is the only performance I enjoy. I'm like of his. Oh, I am. I love Tom Hiddleston. Him Even in the Marvel movies, Tom Hiddleston is great. Really, I think he's yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. captivating <laughs> and hot. And in the mm. Night Manager, remember mm. that? Wait, uh, have you guys ever seen Manager. the Night Manager? Wow. I'm, do- I'm doing a callback to 50 episodes. Ago. I know. I was trying to like do the bit, but I don't remember I what, don't remember the, bit what was. the bit was. The bit was just bringing up bringing the up night, the night, night manager. Manager. Oh, the how Tom Hiddleston changed the lives of... In his Golden Globe speech. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. in Africa. But I... Who tuned into the night manager. I really relate to the disillusionment in his character where he's like... You know, obviously, you're a vampire, you're immortal. You're, the only way you can die is like getting a stake in the heart, or I guess getting bad blood. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, this movie, like, you can read it as sort of like a drug, like a like a junkie narrative or whatever. I, or like safe. Or like safe. Yeah, yeah. Or, I think it, exactly. It's not, I think I, it, that's not. I don't think that's like what he's trying to get at. But yeah, because like the way that the like the way that the blood is just shot, like their first mm. is with that orgiastic manner with like. The beautiful, clo- like furry, fuzzy close-ups of them just like falling backwards and mm. sipping the blood, and just ultimate like pleasure mm-hmm. spreading across their faces, and then the withdrawal of it, the just the 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 consumption of it in private places, mm-hmm. in secret, um, and how you have to get it a very specific 
way, which is through and some sort of like illegal channel. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's, it's totally like yeah. heroin, <laughs> like yeah. on some level. Yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. think that's really what he's trying to get at. I think it's just a way of exploring it. Yeah. And then of course, John Hurt dies at the end because he gets a batch of bad blood, which is sort of, you know, like needle sharing and you develop, you know, you contract HIV. Like it's, there's a whole narrative on there that mm-hmm. you can you can relate to like the junkie experience. And I don't mean junkie in a like a I, I don't care about this sort of way. Just like there's it's it's a lot of familiar setups in that in that vein. No yeah. pun no pun intended. There's also along with the junkie narrative, there's something about like I don't know the end of the world. No, that's what yeah. that's what it is. No, that's, that's really what it is. What it is yeah. But yeah, the junkie narrative's beneath that. Like when Tilda Swinton uh, overtly refers to the water wars. The, yeah. the the pending water wars. Yeah. Oh, does she? Yeah. She she she's like, why Detroit? And he's like, well, there's water here. Oh. Yeah. You got the Great Lakes, baby. Mm-hmm. That's true. Getting away from the coasts too. Mm-hmm. Um. No, I mean, I'll just to finish. I didn't like finishing the points about like the the junkie narrative. I think it's more just like another one of the pains of being immortal, especially mm-hmm. as a vampire, is that in order to you you must go on because you in a very human way like we 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 eat protein we drink water we have shelter like in order to live like their conditions just happen to be especially difficult like their needs can only be found in like the worst possible way Mm -hmm. and what a burden that is so then on top of that the people who you're the mortals in your midst are making such a mess of the world around you and if you've been around for 600 years or in Tilda's case like 2,000 years Mm -hmm. like you've seen what the world was not that it was necessarily better then but you you've seen how humans have never really figured it out things just get worse and worse and things get better Mm -hmm. and then they get worse and they get better then they get worse and, you know, Tom Hilton's character has the line about how, like, humans only really are able to address a problem once it's already too late. It, I imagine it's very hard to be a vampire <laughs> in that way. So I like that the, his character, which is just, like, very Jarmuschian, like, is having that existential crisis in the beginning of whether to just kill himself and be done with it because it sounds like an awful existence, mm-hmm. even though on top of it, you get to read literally everything it's like there are so many movies that i know that we all want to see and i I just feel like every cinephile has that moment in their life where they realize like i'm just not going to see everything Mm -hmm. you have to learn to like be at peace with that if you're immortal you can see and read everything because you have a limitless amount of time Mm -hmm. still you probably can't read everything right but apparently they have super reading skills which i love which i love (laughs) i love that scene No, but see, like, that scene is great to me in expressing how Jarmusch feels about the ecstasy of art. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and of having a relationship with art, which, again, is why I like that he leaves spaces in his movies to ponder and engage and figure out how this relates to you. Like, he only gives you, the, like, the kernels of an idea. He develops it throughout the film, but, like, he's giving you space to catch up. Or not catch up, but, like, connect to it. Yeah. But I love, like, that detail of, of Tilda getting ready for this trip and then just, like reading five books with her hand and she's so she's so excited Mm -hmm. you know she's so like excitedly throws like infinite jest into the into the case Mm -hmm. um so the big you know the big wall in tom hiddleston's apartment of like mark twain and edgar Allan poe which i get you can read as like just his cultural heroes or that they are also vampires Mm. and apparently claire denis is on that wall Oh, really? Yeah. Claire Denis is definitely a vampire. I love that. 100%. <laughs> definitely. Well, you have to think, like, Jim Jarmusch is in a way kind of like a contemporary of Claire Denis, if only because I would put Vim Vendors yeah. in the Jarmusch school here, even mm-hmm. though they're operating in different national cinemas. 
therefore like Jarmish doesn't necessarily like break open a door for vendors but like yeah. There are these important... Of course, Vendors goes on to make some American films, which I would associate with in this class. Yeah, I feel like Paris, Texas is Par- very Paris, much Texas a movie right that mold. saw The Stranger Than Paradise, the person I agree. that made that I movie. I agree. I just want to clarify, I'm not saying that like Jarmish gave Vendors the right to make right. movies, but he is in that scene, right? Mm-hmm. And Claire Denise is AD. So Jarmish and Claire Denise 100% like, knew each other yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. So I, that's just, I, I think that's such a great nod in yeah. the film. Um, Claire so good i love mm. the i love the opening shot of this film like the just the using the the oh the record the, the spinning oh. record and then the overhead spinning shots of both of them and how they how land it goes down. yes and so it's like both building a spiritual connection to the characters to one another but also like why why are we matching it to the record yes it's cool like it's just it it's a it's a it's a totem of something like hip and of course of culture and mm-hmm. sort of an analog type of thing but it's also like a record unless you destroy it like you can just play it again and again and mm-hmm. again and it's like getting at the idea of like their life just being a record like a, on a constant loop yeah and i think that's a great visual illustration that is right in his own vocabulary as a filmmaker which is shit like vinyl like in a movie where tom middleson's like do you want to like go check out motown and she's like eh, i'm like more of a stacks person myself like if you're someone who cares about that sort of stuff like a record is right in your wheelhouse, but I think it becomes profound in that context mm. in the beginning. Yeah. I just think it's a great motion picture. I, score, I think the score is incredible. The score is really, movie. really good. Yeah. I like the end. The ending moves me. Mm-hmm. Me too. The final shot of her face. She's, what does she say? S'il vous plaît. excusez moi Excusez-moi? What? Excuse me. She, no, she, it's very, it's, it's, it's Thank French. You. It's like she, she does say something like that. Yeah, mm. she does. And then she's, she's like, like, s'il vous plaît. Yeah. It's great. Because mm. mm. they're just looking at this happy couple and they're like, well, like, guess it, we got to go on. Which huh? is like kind of romantic in a way. They're like, they look like they could make this work. Because mm. they're like, they don't want to do it because it's like, it's a risk to their health. Like, I love that detail. It's like if vampires are existing in 2013 and they've been around for this long what conditions have changed like do vampires still like we're you know how like technology has shifted are vampires still like stalking people to get their blood like no Mm -hmm. there's blood banks like there's black markets like all these different things and they don't like actually going after humans because it's a health risk Mm -hmm. and also because like you know they're not i guess they are literally monsters but like they have souls um and so like they choose them because they are beautiful and look like they're in love mm-hmm. and they're like well if we gotta like we're gonna, we're not gonna kill them we're just gonna turn them mm-hmm. and, like these people like look like they can they look like they can make it work they can yeah. handle it yeah i just like all those considerations are it's it's just funny to me like it he's is. he's really considered all the angles of what a vampire story how it would actually look yeah but still in his very specific milieu good movie yeah when when Anton Yelchin gets pushed into the acid, and you like watch like him deteriorate, and it's like really awful to watch. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's its own comments. Like I I don't mean to say the dead don't die is the first time Jarmish is like we're fucked. Yeah. But the fact that their relationship endures, like that they have this love that they keep going, it's sort of that there is. It's not that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that they are going to continue walking down that tunnel. Whereas in the dead don't die, it's like just throwing his hands up and not yeah. caring. But when it cuts to Tilda and she's like, well, that was visual. I think that's a very funny one. 
We could be done. I think we're good. I think we did it. <laughs> I, think we, I just looked at the time. I think so we did the damn thing. I think thing. we did the damn thing. So thank you. This has been um, another pretty cool, cool cat, Jim Jarmusch man, <laughs> hey. episode of Movies IMO. Subscribe to us on <laughs> Apple Podcast, Acast, Spotify, yeah. Stitcher, uh, <laughs> whatever, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rate us five stars in the Apple Store, and uh, in, in go into a physically go into an Apple Store and say, "I'm giving them five. Oh, please, they'll do. know. They'll know what it means. They'll know what it means. Uh, leave they us won't. a review and tell us um, where would you live if you were doomed to walk the earth for eternity and oh. had to go chill out somewhere. That's a good one. What would you collect? Which totems of culture would you collect? And you know, if I just think about Anton Yelchin's dead body on that couch, and I mm. wonder. Where was John Dealman? I was well. Oh, I was to not, clean that up. I, well, I was not going to say about his dead body, Brandon. I was going <laughs> to say that there are all those well, broken records and broken 1902 mm. Gibson guitars around. I was they also say, she also dropped the blood, the the cup of blood in Atlanta on the carpet. Mm. That's a big that's a, that's a big stain to do. But it's also like a break of the routine. But how in the, in the would John way. how would John Dealman dispose of a body? Because she had to dispose of. That's true. She do it fastidiously. <laughs> That's all we know. <laughs> Plenty of bleach. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, rest sorry. in peace, Anton Yeltsin. Yeah, sorry. Uh-huh. I we'll have, well, no, there's. <laughs> I should have said the character's name and oh. not literally. Well, there's so much to talk about with Anton Yeltsin. We're not going to do it. He's so today. good. He's so great, and I'm like, I'm. I was just watching this movie. I'm like, he was so on Jarmusch's level. I'm so glad they got to work together. Yeah. So glad they got to work. This together. is. I forgot he was in it, and then he showed up. I was like, oh. He's so good. So good. Oh, I rest in peace, Anton Yeltsin. And then when Tom Hiddleston snaps at him and he's like, all right, cool, man. Yeah, huh? Fuck it up. Nice. <laughs> cool. All right. When <laughs> Anthony Ocean breaks through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. All right. All right. Like <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Haven't done oh, that in a while. Like, all right. Do it again. Oh, do, do, do Clint Eastwood and then you'll one more time. All right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, my name's Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. I like the detail in The Dead Don't Die where Selena Gomez gets like the halo around her when Caleb Landry Jones sees her and it like kind of kind of roll your eyes a little bit. You're like, oh, now now there's going to be a love interest. And like, of course, she has to be the love interest. And then that doesn't happen because there's not room for any, any of that anymore. Mm. I like when there's her, not room for it. Like when her eye twi- twitches on her decapitated head. Oh, does it? She's a good actor. Oh, I love Selena Gomez. Richard Brody also uh, compared The Dead Don't Die to Monrovia, Indiana. Oh. And there's a whole conversation we had there, but I didn't want to just mimic what he said okay. on our episode. But interesting. He has very interesting stuff to say in comparing hmm. this movie to Monrovia. Hmm. Anyway. I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. I'm Ben MB. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. Next week. <gasps> Next week, we are going to bulldoze cars. Duke Kaboom is going <laughs> to fly into the apartment. Duke Kaboom! We're talking about Duke Toy Story Kaboom. 4. Uh, and Toy Story 5 out of 5. Uh, and uh, for homework, we're going to be talking about, of course, the Pixar trilogy Cars 1, Cars 2, Cars uh, 3. Ah, uh, please. Uh, <laughs> Monsters University. Uh, is there a Monsters Inc. 2? No. No, it's That's just, just Monsters University. University. Yeah. We're going to talk about Finding Dory, a film that mm. I despise mm. and Brandon loves. What are you doing? I was going to make a point, but I Make don't. a point. People who have problems <laughs> oh. with the ending of Dory 
specifically how the fish are like driving cars. <laughs> Have you watched Toy Story 2? Okay, but they, they drive cars, <laughs> they jump out of airplanes. Okay, so don't talk to I me no, about what fair. the inanimate objects, living creatures, are That's doing fair. in That's Dory. Fair. My bigger issue with Finding Dory is not that they're driving cars, it's <laughs> that there is somehow conveniently a little pot of water in every single space that they need to go. Well, you know. Outside of the aquarium. They find the water. There's in, in cars, on the Life street. Life finds like, a way. There's always just a pot of water there. That's my issue with it. Like a little glass of water in the truck driver's cup holder. Yeah. Yeah, he was thirsty. I also really didn't like when Dory was like, look, I'm rich, and it's really hard to oh. be rich. <laughs> oh. I, it's unforgivable. It's unforgivable. <laughs> ben, what's your name? He already did. I said it. Oh, okay. Oh, next All week right, we're talking about Toy Story 4. Uh, podcast is at Movies IMO on Twitter. Um, did you say bye sluts? Yeah. Oh, oh goodbye slut to you. <laughs> Thank you. The winner is Jane Fonda... Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.